Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Story Church. My name is Eric. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at The Story, and if we don't know each other yet, I hope to have the chance to get to know you one day. Whether you're joining us online as part of The Story's online campus, or whether you're in person at Timber Grove this morning and watching this message in your worship service, it's just really an honor to share this community with you. It's an honor to share this life with you. And and if you're new to the story, just a special word of welcome to you. If you're not uh, acquainted with how we do things um, yet, uh, listen, I hope you'll keep coming around and, and getting to know this community. I think there's a, a place for just about everyone at the story, no matter how many questions and doubts you have about God or the Bible or religion. Um, we are a community of skeptics and believers following Jesus together. And so uh, we are committed to, to that vision of who we are becoming. And we are also committed to always challenging comfort zones and inspiring deeper conversations and pursuing the truth of God together. Those are kind of the pillars that, that uh, uphold our community, our community, those values that we seek uh, to live out. Um, what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes or so is explore a topical message that I think is on point for most of us. Um, and usually we do these messages in sets or series um, based on, uh, you know, the topic at hand. We'll pick it apart here and there. And this month's series is called True Lies. With this series, we are exploring some of the, the mantras that you'll hear repeated, and maybe you say them. I know I say a lot of them, and they are repeated so often as to be accepted as true, absolutely true on the face of them without much thought given to them, much critical thought anyway. So um, we've been looking at uh, be true to yourself uh, for example, and love is all you need. And, and next week, we'll talk about karma, and karma is real, and all these kinds of things we say on repeat. Um, and as Christians, we don't want to just throw these out as though they're just secular mantras that are untrue. We want to really excavate these statements and highlight the truth within them um, so that we can find some common ground. Okay, so that's the goal of the series. And today's mantra is, I think, really exciting to talk about. I've been really pumped all week to talk about this mantra today. It is follow the science. Follow the science. All right, so this is one you'll hear all the time, right? Especially lately, you'll hear people saying this or some variation of follow the science, such as uh, believe in science, listen to science, science is real. Like uh, you'll see yard signs uh, with, you know, uh, science is real on them. Or I even saw Christmas ornaments with Dr. Fauci's name spelled out with uh, the periodic table, F-A-U, whatever. <laughs> like we are very serious about science. Uh, this is not a, a new phenomenon. Uh, this is not a new mantra, but it is a modern mantra because uh, it is as relevant today as it's ever been, probably more so, and it has picked up more and more steam, more and more momentum uh, as, uh, as COVID-19 um, took over. So over the last 20 months, we have seen this pandemic wreak havoc on all of our lives, change all of our lives in different ways. Um, unthinkable things, things that were unimaginable in America just 20 months ago have now become our new normal. And of course, COVID-19, just like anything else these days, has been highly and relentlessly politicized. So with the, uh, this, uh, 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 this politicization of, of, the, of the issue and, and the, the division that happens with that, we have seen two camps emerge in our culture uh, that are clear to anyone paying attention. At least this is how it's portrayed 
often by the media, and it's not helped at all <laughs> by the intellectual giants uh, of our time, also known as top commenters on Facebook news threads. <laughs> like we have been driven ever further apart in these two, two perceived camps. On the one hand, you've got the, the pro-science camp, right? The, the good citizens of the world that are pro-science, that are um, thoughtful people, they have everyone's best interests at heart and they are doing everything science tells them to do. And on the other hand, you've got this other camp of people that, you know, uh, is the unwashed, like, Cretans who uh, reject the science, deny the science, um, and, and really choose to live in rebellion against whatever science is saying um, without any regard for their lives or other people's lives. And the rhetoric going really back and forth and, and really around these two camps has gotten so toxic because everybody's an expert. Like little did any of us know 20 months ago how many of our friends and family that we thought were like plumbers and preachers and such, how many of them turned out to be trained virologists and professional epidemiologists. <laughs> little did we know how many professionals we had to speak on these issues, experts in this field until the pandemic happened. And now we're just going after each other. And the reason why it's important for Christians to talk about this phenomenon in our culture, to talk about follow the science as a mantra, is because if you are unaware of this, you need to be aware, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of most secular or, or non-Christian people, we Christians, the majority of us, the great majority of us, fall into that second camp that I mentioned, the unscientific camp the camp that just does whatever we want, regardless of what science is telling us. So we have a, a, a reputation problem. We have a, a perception problem. And, and what, why this really matters is because it is damaging our public witness as Christians. If the secular world looks at us and says, well, those folks are in the midst of a pandemic, anti-science, anti-lockdowns, anti-masks, anti-vaccines, anti-all this stuff, anti-Fauci, all this like, then we have a problem on our hands, uh, a problem of, of credibility, really, a crisis of credibility. So we have a whole bunch of people now who are calling into question the Christian witness and really wondering if in the age of, of modern science, if Christianity is gonna be anti-science, then does the Christian voice need a platform in our society any longer? Is it even relevant in our culture today or should it be? And the, the rubber really meets the road when we consider the fact that in our culture, Christians are known, if nothing else, we are known for being pro-life, ardently pro-life, right? We're known in the world for that being sort of our issue, our thing. And, you know, this this is in some ways how it should be because Christians, we, we are pro-life. It's more than just about one issue though. It's really about uh, uplifting and, and defending the sanctity of all human life from womb to tomb. That's how it should look. But the world hears us saying we're pro-life and then they see us acting in ways that do not fit that description in their opinion. We're pro-life, they say about us, right? They say they're pro-life until 
the science tells them to do something they're uncomfortable doing. If they're so pro-life, the adage goes, then why aren't they um, doing what scientific experts are telling us about this pandemic and saving lives in the process? Maybe they're not so pro-life after all. So you see the crisis of identity and credibility that we have here. It, it looks like hypocrisy to the world outside. Now, whether we wanna call that hypocrisy perceived or real, it doesn't really matter. We're living in a world where perception is reality. So they're one and the same in the eyes of the world. And so we Christians have to figure out how to push back against that narrative that Christians are anti-science because every day, people, young people especially, are choosing to walk away from Christianity and faith in God based on issues related to science because they have heard from culture and it's been affirmed to them in some cases from what they hear in churches, in their churches they grew up in or what they see in social media, whatever. They've gotten the message loud and clear that they have to choose between science and their faith in God. And they can't have both. The two are not complementary of each other. It's one or the other. And, and I see it all the time. People are leaving about scientific-related issues. They're leaving the church as much about those as they are about any other issues that you hear about in culture. So we have to protect our public witness. And so one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this subject is just to encourage Christians who are listening to my messages to be more careful and thoughtful about what we say, especially in public. And we're always, wherever you are, you're always speaking publicly these days. This is the age of smartphones and 24-7 and connectivity, right? So everything you say is part of your public witness. And if you are a Christian, then you bear the name of Christ, you represent the body of Christ wherever you go, and that includes the comment section of your favorite news source. And that includes social media threads, obviously, and it includes the conversations you have with people in passing. We should know what the perception is about us and being anti-science so that we can gently, wisely, carefully push back against that, that idea, okay? Now, with that in mind, I don't mean to just incriminate people um, who have questioned science. I also don't buy the myth that Christians are anti-science. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But I think it should be said, if we're talking about follow the science as a mantra and how it's gained steam throughout COVID-19 and this pandemic, I think we also have to just own the fact, even if we're ardently pro-science, which I am, we have to own the fact that uh, science, the issue with science is often that as more data comes in what science says to follow changes, right? I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how science is designed to work. And it's okay when it happens, but we should understand that when various scientific authorities make suggestions or make laws even uh, that, that um, change the prescribed course of action over time, it can be disorienting for people. Y'all remember how disorienting COVID-19 has been? Like, do you remember how gaslit we felt at times based on the different information we were getting from different trusted sources? I remember the confusion and the fear that set in. I do. I mean, I remember 20 months ago, it all started with 15 days to flatten the curve. Remember those good old days? 
We were shutting everything down, churches, schools, businesses, but just for two weeks and a day. 15 days is what we need to flatten the curve. Well, more data came in, and, and the scientific recommendations or prescriptions, they changed, right? 15 days to flatten the curve became 30 days to slow the spread or whatever they said, 30 days to slow the spread. And so we, we got on board with that, a lot of us did. And then it was the next thing and the next thing. Before we knew it, our kids were, you know, they hadn't seen their friends in, in nine months and, uh, and they're all wearing masks all day, every day at school. And, and before we knew it, Dr. Fauci was, uh, was given Santa Claus a pink slip because Christmas was canceled. And, and it was just very confusing. So even if you're pro-science, I just invite you on this journey with me of acknowledging that it, it has been frustrating at times, you know? Um, I mean, uh, it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of 2020 was spent wondering what the science is saying today. Like how many times a day did we clean hard surfaces in our houses in 2020? How many times? 12,000 at least, 12,000 times a day did we disinfect all the hard surfaces in our house because that's what the science was telling us to do. As it turns out, more data came in and cleaning the surfaces in your home didn't really do much to fight infection. We just got really, really good at disinfecting our, our hard surfaces. And the disinfectant companies just made, I don't know how much money off of those <laughs> recommendations, but all, our arms were sore and we were disinfected for sure. In the end, it wasn't doing all that much to help us. Just the, the information coming in was changing over time. For churches, it was frustrating because a lot of 2020 was spent wondering, when it's okay to gather and where and how many people can gather and under what circumstances. At first, everything shut down. And then the science started changing. The science, based on new data, I guess, started saying, well, it's, it's okay for restaurants to be open, but only restaurants with patios. So every restaurant was trying to come up with a patio plan. And then they said the bars can open, but only the bars that serve food, which was a little confusing, I still have to say. So the bars were figuring out a way to serve chips to people. And, and, then, they, and then they said, well, you know, even strip clubs can open as long as you don't touch the girls because of COVID. And I'm like, isn't that already a rule? I don't know. I've, I've never been to one, but, but it, you can email me if you've been to one and fill me in on the rules. I, I thought that was already a rule. And all the while when clubs and bars and restaurants were allowed to open in most of the country, churches and other houses of worship were still told to remain closed, which just sent a mixed message, mixed signals to an already confused and scared um, population. And perhaps worst of all is the fact that uh, at the same time that these draconian measures were being passed down by our leaders based on following the science, many of them weren't willing to follow their own rules that they were uh, holding the rest of us to and seeing politicians and people in power um, breaking their own rules was extremely frustrating to say the least. Now, a lot of these uh, circumstances can be chalked up simply to the changing data or the science changing as more data came in, and that's totally understandable. But I think we should at least acknowledge the fact that before we divide Americans up into these different camps, these fixed groups where one is all righteous and one is unrighteous, I think we should be very careful and compassionate about the journey we've all been living and, and how stressful and, and scary and frustrating it has been. Now, with that being said, Christians must be more careful about our public witness especially where issues of science and faith are concerned. Uh, as St. Augustine once wrote, 
it is a disgraceful and dangerous thing for a non-Christian to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of Scripture and talking nonsense on these topics. This guy lived almost 1,700 years ago. It's like he's alive today. Like we could say the same thing today. His wisdom is, is timeless, I guess. But I do hope that we Christians can be more careful about our public witness as far as science is concerned because while many in our, in our culture are getting the message loud and clear that they have to choose between God and science, we should be willing and prepared to say in a gentle and persuasive way, you don't have to choose. There is nothing about good science that faith can find contemptible, and there should be nothing about faith that good science finds contemptible. The God we love, the God we serve and know and worship, he is enamored with science. He is in love with science. He created the universe in such a way that science is even possible. He created our brains, the human brain, with the scientific method in mind. He wants us to, to do science. He wants us to, to pursue understanding. He wants us to have knowledge of him. And, and some philosophers have gone so far as to say that it's not enough to suggest we should follow the science. We must first begin with understanding that science first follows God. Science follows God. I'll explain this just a little bit. I just want to get into Scripture a little bit, all right, this morning, um, and talk about what I mean when I say the, the mind of God is scientific. The Psalm uh, 19 begins this way. This is written 3,000 years ago. The heavens. Now, that doesn't mean heaven like the great Christian getaway oasis in the sky. That means the, the heavens, the cosmos, the creation, the universe. The constellations, stars, sun, and moon, all of it declares the glory of God. It testifies to the one who made the, the universe. The skies proclaim the work of God's hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And so there's this idea, even in antiquity, that we can know God through his masterpiece. We can know the artist through this work of art we call the universe. We can know God's character, something about his personality by looking at the sky. Now this is, this is pre-scientific for sure, but it is a clue that by studying creation, we, anyone, can know God. And in fact, it would be a clue if you believe that there is a creator, that this God wants to be known. Now, the, the same thread of thought is woven in the New Testament, where we find the Apostle Paul um, trying to uh, explain what's happening with people who are rejecting God. And sometimes I'll hear questions, well, what happens to people who grow up in places or in contexts where Jesus Christ was never preached? Do Christians really believe all those people go to hell because they never heard the name of Jesus and made him their Lord and Savior? No, that's never been what Christians believe. I mean, in the first generation of Christianity, Paul was explaining that God can be known by anyone, regardless of where they grew up or what religion their parents adhered to, just by looking at the things that God has made. This is from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. What may be known about God 
is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since from the creation, I'm sorry, for, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made from the creation, from his masterpiece. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him for the creation, right? But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, right? They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human uh, and birds and animals and reptiles. So that end part is talking about idolatry, which isn't just something they did in antiquity. We may not make you know golden calves anymore, but we still engage in idolatry, which is the worship of lesser things, the worship of imitation things. Instead of worshiping the one true God, we worship you know the creature over the Creator, and the things that that. Uh, we put at the center of our lives pale in comparison to the glory of God. So the Bible from the beginning attested to this idea that God created the universe in a way for science to work. This is why science is essentially dependent on theism. Now, if, you're, uh, if that rubs you the wrong way, let me be clear. I don't mean science is dependent on Christianity necessarily or on the Christian God per se. I just mean that science is dependent on theism generally. Um, and, and we know that because, not only because the first scientists were all theists and the greatest scientists uh, have almost all been theists, but it's not really about that. It's about the scientific method itself. Only a universe such as the one God has made would allow for science to even be possible without the, the reliability and the consistency of the constants God has put in place constants, by the way, most of us don't even understand. Not even scientists understand these constants, like gravity, for example. No one knows. No one has the faintest idea what gravity is or where it comes from or why it is. We just take it for granted, and it forms the basis of all of our experiments. It forms a basis of all of our experiments, right? We just assume that it will remain steadfast. And so there's all of these um, variables, uh, they could be variables, in our experimentation and our learning that we take for granted and we assume that they will remain steady and stable because something holds them in place, because something allows for that reliability. Without, without these constants, we wouldn't have science. It even goes beyond that, y'all. Without faith, we wouldn't have science. Faith forms the, uh, the, the essence or faith fuels the scientific method and our pursuit of science. And by faith, I mean this assumption that scientific knowledge is worth knowing. Or even the assumption that, that there are things to be known. There are answers to be found. There is truth to be uncovered. These are all um, acts of faith. The, the scientific pursuit of knowledge is, is deeply faithful. It is the belief that there's something that should be known and can be known, and once we know it, it is trustworthy and reliable. This is, this is clearly faith in action, and, and this, is, this is why 
uh, one philosopher has written, all scientists, this is bold, y'all, all scientists, including agnostics and atheists, believe in God. They have to in order to do their work. So it's almost as if this universe that the Bible uh, lifts up as evidence for God's character, it's almost as if this universe was, was fine-tuned for the scientific process, for the advancement of science and knowledge. It's almost like the one who created this universe wanted science to, to, be, to become a reality, wanted us to know more about the universe that he has made. So this creator we talk about is clearly highly scientific. Rebecca McLaughlin wrote in her book, uh, Confronting Christianity, brilliant book, by the way. She said, a God who created this universe must have scientific knowledge as far surpassing ours as a street lamp is surpassed by the sun. And what's more, God has made the human mind, has, has intricately pieced together this mind of ours, not only to be able to do science, but to do it well. We are the only self-aware species capable of scientific pursuit. So this ought to tell Christians that God isn't afraid of our scientific advancements. And so we shouldn't be either. Look, I don't think God is, is up in heaven looking down at labs full of men and women in lab coats and like pacing back and forth on the streets of gold thinking, I hope they don't find out who I am or what I've done. I hope they don't figure out my secrets. No, I think God with every scientific advancement, every achievement of good science, I think God with the heavenly host rejoices, celebrates because God is love. And love by its very nature wants to be known, wants to be discovered, wants to be embraced. And so I don't think God's up there worrying about scientific achievements. I think he's up there going, you guys, they, they got it. They figured it out. They, fi they got the relativity thing. No, no, yeah, relativity, you know? <laughs> like Einstein, the one with the hair. Like, I think he's up there rejoicing with us as we get to know his creation better because the more, according to the Bible, the more we know his creation, the more we know him and who he is. So what do we say about follow the science? Is it always a good idea to follow the science? Look, I'm gonna be just real with you here and some of you might not like this. I, I say generally, it is a good idea to follow the science, but with some caveats. We've got to use our critical thinking skills again. We can't get, you know, in our silos of ideology and, and only follow the science when our favorite news anchor tells us it's okay. No, we've got to learn to use the brains God gave us and follow the science when the science is good. Because just like with most things, science is fallible, right? Obviously. Science can get things wrong. Science can fall into the hands of some bad actors and can be poorly communicated, and, and it can have real consequences. We've seen this in our time. My favorite, everybody's favorite atheist, uh, Richard Dawkins from a few years ago, he uh, used to tell every group of students and audiences that he had um, thousands of impressionable minds that only 7% of scientists in America believe in God. Well, multiple studies have shown this to be false. He repeated it ad nauseum, but 
but it was a false study. I mean, multiple studies have shown that 40% of scientists believe in some kind of God, 40% don't, and about 20% have no idea. And these studies have been consistent over time. But you know how they used to say that statistics can lie and liars use statistics? Well, the same is true for just about anything. Theology can lie, especially when liars use theology. You know, uh, science also can lie and liars can use science. In 1986, there was this study that was really widely uh, influential. It was a study of single women in their 30s. Uh, who had never been married, um, and uh, this was, again, in 1986. It was published in Newsweek magazine, and uh, the, the data that they reported went something like this. They studied thousands of single women of a certain age in their 30s, uh, and the women who were still single at 35, they said, had only a 5% chance of ever marrying, a 5% chance. And then the report went on to say, this is true in Newsweek magazine, that women who are still single at 40 are more likely to be killed by a terrorist than get married. Now, that report was so widely disseminated that Meg Ryan even quoted it in uh, When Harry Met Sally, right? Uh, and it was, it was the source of a lot of depression uh, for women across America. On the bright side, however, animal shelters across the country did report record numbers of feline adoptions, which is not true. I just made that up, but I thought it was funny. So <laughs> as it, I'm being unscientific right now, but as it turns out, the study in question was deeply flawed and its results were erroneous. In reality, subsequent studies revealed that more than half of all women who were still single in their 30s in 1986 ended up getting married. So when science and statistics and reports fall into the wrong hands or are, are erroneously interpreted or miscommunicated, it can have real effects and ramifications. And so we should follow the science, but we should understand that science is not infallible. Now, whether we're talking about science or whether we're talking about theology, we're talking about faith seeking understanding. The beautiful thing about our scientific pursuits and our biblical theological faith pursuits is that we all know that there is something good about pursuing the truth. We know that there is truth to be known. We want to know it. And I think that's because we're created by God who wants to be known. Science isn't the, the truth. Science isn't truthful. Science is a tool. It can be a, a wonderful tool, a miraculous tool a tool to seek the truth of God, a tool by faith to pursue more knowledge of God. Now, as I was thinking this week all about this message and just how to communicate exactly what science does, right, and, and how science contributes to the Christian pursuit of understanding God, I was looking for some kind of, I don't know, like a, an illustration right, some kind of a symbol that could be used maybe to, to illustrate what science does and maybe what science doesn't do. Science, like anything, has its limits. And so what, what came to mind this week, and, uh, and it really kind of struck me as true, is this loaf of bread. And um, this loaf of bread is uh, very simple. It's a loaf of rye bread, and it looks delicious, and I am hungry right now. And so I don't know, maybe I'll eat this as soon as I'm done. This, this loaf of bread is beautiful, well-crafted, well-baked. 
And I thought about what science could tell us about this loaf of bread. Different branches of science, different areas of emphasis could tell us different things. I mean, there's all kinds of chemistry that goes into the baking process, the yeast and the, the, you know, the, the heat and everything, the chemical reactions that cause bread to rise. There's biology at work in this bread. There's physics at work. Like science could tell us a lot about this bread, can tell us what bread is made of, can tell us maybe um, where some of the components of bread came from. But it, it occurred to me this week that science can't do much to offer answers to questions like, who made this bread? Uh, and for whom? Who gets to eat this bread? What does this bread mean to the one who made it? Why is this bread here? Like, science has its limits. It, it answers some questions we have very well, but we have to go beyond science to get answers to questions about meaning or questions about who made it, questions about why it's here. The New Testament talks about Jesus as the source of all things. Colossians 1 and, uh, and Romans, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, both talk about all things being created through Christ and for Christ. But through Christ are all things so all of creation, everything that we know, everything that is, comes to us through Christ, through God. And I think this is a good way for Christians to conceive of and appreciate science. Should we follow the science, of course, as long as we also recognize the, the need that science has, the reliance that science has upon something bigger that has set a universe in motion that makes science possible in the first place. And, and first and foremost, I think followers of Jesus should follow Jesus before all things, including science. Jesus came and said that uh, he's the bread of life, right? He talked about himself in terms of being bread for us. He said that if we take and eat what he has to offer us, we will never be hungry. We will never be satiated or unsatisfied if we just trust him. The beautiful thing about Christ is that the, the more you follow him, even in 2021 in this age of science that we're living in, the more of yourself you give to him, the more he'll reveal to you how much he loves you and how much he wants to be known by you. Following Jesus won't make you anti-science. In fact, it will do the opposite. Following Jesus will give you a greater appreciation for scientific achievement and knowledge, you will want to know more about this Christ at the center of your life. And science is one way that we can do that. Science is one way we can know the bread of life given to us as a gift by God. So every way that God gives you to know him, whether it's in church on a Sunday morning or in a lab on a Monday morning, every method, every path was given to you intentionally by the God who wants you to discover him who wants you to know him, who wants you to love him as he first loved you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this uh, reminder today, for this word from your, from your word, from your Bible, that, uh, that you are uh, in charge of all things, that you created everything that is just so to make science possible 
to make advancement and knowledge achievable. We thank you for putting brains in our heads that are capable of processing this knowledge and wisely interpreting it and finding you in it, finding your face in this creation that we observe. God, it is a wonderful thing to consider that this universe was made just so we could pursue more knowledge and know more about you. We celebrate all the things that good science has done and is doing in our lives. And where we've gotten things wrong, Lord, where we've allowed our pride to take precedence over the truth, as Christians especially, we repent of that. And we don't want to be prideful. We don't want to spout off uh, conspiracies or, or you know, half-truths and, and, and shame you or the church in the process. Lord, we want to represent you well in the world. And so we ask for your wisdom. We ask for understanding. We ask for open ears and closed mouths sometimes. We ask that you would make us quick to listen and slow to speak and definitely slow to anger. This is a world that's so broken and so in need of help and healing, God, and we want to be agents of that healing in your name and for your sake. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, through whom all things are made and in whom all things hold together. Amen.